Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. Be bad for you to not share the gospel. Be worse for you to truncate the gospel and give a false gospel to people. You got to give a gospel of repentance. And the repentance is going to humble your neighbors and your friends and your brothers. Just like I trust it humbled you. And if not, you haven't repented. And you need to repent of your sin. The gospel of God is good, but it isn't easy. And too many people have quickly accepted Christ as their loving, forgiving Savior, but abandoned their faith as soon as they found out that Christianity means doing things God's way. Well, today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares explains why it's essential to share a gospel that includes obedience. I'm Dave Drury. We're starting today in Acts chapter 8, verse 9. And now here's Pastor Mike Fabares with part two of a message titled, Calling People to Repentance. Acts chapter 8, verse 9. Follow along as I read it for you from the English Standard Version. It says, but there was a man named Simon, very common name in the first century, by the way, and it's not Simon Peter, you know, this is a different Simon, as we explained here, who had previously practiced magic in the city. He amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. Healthy self-view. <laughs> and you know what? He was successful at that, getting that view across to other people. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest. They were saying, this man, he's the power of God that is called great. Well, you know, some people think they're God's gift to the world. Well, celebrities have no problem getting that point across in one way or another. And they paid attention to him because for a long time, it wasn't a flash in the pan, this was a long-term A-lister, long time, he had amazed them with, with his magic. But when, when they believed Philip, the people that were paying attention to this great guy, as he preached good news, good news that we can be forgiven, about the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even, verse 13, Simon himself believed, but he had a response and it was positive and he continued with Philip. He wanted to be with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles, as it said up there in verse seven and eight, it says, he was amazed. Matter of fact, you should read it this way. And seeing the signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed, right? Why? Because everyone was amazed at him. Now, he's amazed at Philip. Now, you're going to see, and it's important to get this right out of the gate, that whatever happened here to Simon, this celebrity, it wasn't a textbook conversion. Matter of fact, you got every reason to believe that the way Luke presents it to us, even in the way it's said here, this is a, a phony conversion. Scroll down to verse 21. We'll just get into the middle of this. But it says, Peter comes to town and he says, you have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent. Apparently, that's not what happened here, but it needs to now. Therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. So we know where this is going, or at least we should. So Simon the celebrity is not truly converted here. So the question is, what's going on here? Simon the magician. Now, part of this, I think, is helpful as people were amazed at him. Look at verse 11. For a long time, he had amazed them with his magic. 
Look at the bottom of verse 13 again. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. I think that by itself starts to help us understand what kind of magician he was. He wants to join kind of the, you know, the union for magicians with Philip, and he wants to, as it says, continue with Philip and learn about Philip and learn what Philip is doing because he's the con man learning from the guy who's all of a sudden coming to town doing the real thing. He's healing paralytics. So I think he's a con man. Subtitle of our sermon today in calling people to repentance. Let's get clear about the aspects of that that certainly fly in the face of a guy who's saying, I'm someone great. Sin says you're not great, you're a sinner. Repentance, number one, is a call that is always going to bring you low before God. I put it this way, call for repentance that humbles. Call for repentance that humbles, it humbles you. It makes you see that I am not worthy of God's love. I'm not worthy of God's honor. I'm not worthy of God's favor. I'm not worthy of God's treasures in heaven. I'm not worthy of that. Hard, I know, for us to present that message to our world but there is no other gospel than a gospel that calls us sinners. And I know it's easy to make a caricature of Christianity that's delivered in an envelope that says, hey, have Christ on your team and everything will be great. Get your best life now. Nah, we're not. We, 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 we just see that a mile away and not interested. That's, that's called the prosperity gospel. I've been to church five weeks at least. I know that's the prosperity. That's bad. That's bad. Culture, in its increasing hostility toward God, I think really hit the turbocharge when Friedrich Nietzsche came along. And Nietzsche, you might remember from your college freshman philosophy class, was remembered for his God is dead philosophy, which gives you a sense of what he thought of Christianity. And if you studied him, at least just at least a thumbnail of his philosophy that trickled into society, it really flooded into society and eventually made its way even into the church. He often spoke of, in German, the Ubermensch, the Ubermensch, the Ubermensch, the super person, the superman. And, and that's the goal, for you to get to your full potential, the Ubermensch. And, and the problem is that Christianity keeps getting in the way of that. It keeps reminding you that you're a sinner, and that you're not the center, and that you're not supposed to reach this, this top. Matter of fact, he had in, in German the phrase, the Sklavenmoral, the Sklavenmoral. It even sounds bad. The Sklavenmoral, he said, that's what Christianity is all about. It's the slave mentality, that you are to submit yourself to God, and God is in charge, and, and there's a kingdom and Christ and all that, and you submit to him. And if you have urges and desires and, and aspirations that are not in line with his directives, then you've got to submit to that. Sklaven, that's you when really what you should be is the ubermensch. You should be the super person. Reach your potential. And again, you'd say, well, I know the Christian version of that. That's the prosperity gospel. The number one track when I grew up began this way, and it was in evangelical Bible teaching churches. It started with this. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Okay? Now, is there a sense in which that's biblically true? Well, sure it is if we redefine all of those words biblically, but that's not the way most people understand it when I go to them and say, hey, 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 the God of the universe, he loves you. Man, he's got such a wonderful plan for your life. That's awesome. That's gonna be great. You just get him in your life right now. And if you don't think people misunderstood that, 
You get to the bottom of the track after you sign it and say you're in and all that. You get all the rules about Christ. He loved me so much. He died for me. You get to the end and you get the fine print. And in the fine print, even the fine print says this. Okay, where we really want you to go with this is into varsity Christianity. But right now what's happened is this is your life and they drew a circle for you. And there's a little chair in the middle of, of your life. And that's called your, the throne of your life. And Jesus just got from the outside to the inside because you prayed a prayer. Now he's on the inside with all those dots, which are the priorities of your life. And what would really, really be cool, I mean, if ever you think it would be good for you to do this, I mean, if ever you might just get there, if you could just get you the S, which is self, off the throne, maybe we could put Christ on the throne. And really, you know, I'm right in track, so he's on the throne of my life. It'd be cool if he's on the throne, but he's in your life now, so that's great. Praise the Lord, you're going to heaven. Get Christ on the throne of your life at some point. If you ever want the letterman's jacket, do that. And you know what most people thought? I don't wanna do that. But I don't wanna go to hell. And if you're telling me God loves me, which I totally understand, I get that, then if he's got some good plan for me, maybe a plan that I hadn't thought of, I, I'd like him in my circle. Put him in the circle. I got a lot of other things in the circle. Let's get Christ in the circle. And then maybe if ever things don't go well with my life, I can get Christ on the throne. That'd be awesome. Okay. I've stated that all sarcastically, but it's true. That's what I grew up with. That's what I was told. I was told when you come to Christ, here's the thing, follow him. That'd be good. Follow him. And if you follow him, I think things will get better for you. And that's what Jesus said, right? If anyone would come after me, follow me. Oh, wait. That's not quite how I remember him saying that over and over again. If anyone would come after me, follow me. No. If anyone would come after me, let him... Remember this little three phrase? Let him, first of all, deny himself. Ugh. That doesn't sound good. The wonderful kind of got sucked out of that plan for my life. I don't want to deny myself. That's the whole point of the word wonderful, isn't it? I want those things in my life. And so I got a plan. I want Christ to help me get there. And then, oh, there's another thing. Take up your cross. Think of how bizarre that is, right? I mean, if we were growing up in the Old West and Christ were there as the Messiah coming in the Old West of America, you know, if perhaps, and of course, this is not the way he would die because he didn't really come just to die. He came to suffer and die in that dying phase. But maybe the way that I was used to seeing people die was not a Roman cross where people were hung out to, to die and suffocate, but it was a hangman's noose. If I said, hey, come to Christ, but first deny yourself, deny, you're not in charge anymore, and, and take up your hangman's noose and follow me. Like, ugh. You're so used to the word cross, and it's gilded around your neck and tattooed on your arm, and it's on the front of most churches, and it's like the logo for Christianity, and it looks really tidy and nice, but it was a place where people were executed and died. And he says, you want to come after me? all the stuff that you want, deny yourself, and then, hey, die. Die. Put yourself to death, and then follow me. Now, you can see why that doesn't make for a great first spiritual law. I don't know. Deny yourself and die. I'm, that doesn't sound so wonderful anymore. Is it wonderful good news? It's good news, but it's good news of the kingdom, and guess what about kingdoms? You're not the king. And the name, the authority, is no longer you. 
Matter of fact, you are the sinner and you need to repent of your sin and that's going to be a humiliating thing for you to do. It's going to hurt. You're going to weep. There's going to be mourning. There's going to be the recognition that I'm not all that I thought I was. John Wycliffe, when he, uh, well, he did a lot of early English work. One was on English lit, but he had a phrase about the high horse. We got the phrase in English. The high, like, you've heard people say, get off your high horse. At least if you look that phrase up, most people take it back to John Wycliffe. High horse, get off your high horse. He talked about people in the church at that time that were on their high horse. Piecing a few things together, I, I think about, and I've told you this before, and if you've been there, you remember the church of the nativity in Bethlehem where the city where Christ was born. If you go there, it was a church that was originally built by Constantine, but the Ottomans, when they were in charge of it, they used to have raiders that would come in on horses and carts and steal all the treasures from the churches. So they took the archway, the big archway to the church, and they sealed it up with mortar and stone, all but except a tiny little four and a half foot, not even four and a half feet, little keystone doorway. That's the way you get in. I mean, it does not meet OSHA requirements. Let me just say that. <laughs> there's no ramp and it's not big and there's no back door. You just, you got to go in through this tiny little portal. And literally, that was a security measure by the Ottomans so that they could have people get off their high horse. Because we want you running in here and grabbing our stuff and leaving. And I just think it's so poetic, as, as William Barclay points out in his commentaries, just that you have to stoop to get in to the church and the nativity. And there's that sense in which all of us have to get off of our high horse and we have to bow down before Christ, who even as God presents him to us is in the meekest and lowliest form as a baby born outside in a stable with nothing from a teenage girl on the road at a back of a roadway inn and as you go there today, even there's that sense in which you are physically reminded if you can bend over that far to get into the church, that this is a humbling experience. You can see why it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. You see why it's hard for a celebrity to enter the kingdom. You see why all of us with a sense of wanting to be rich and famous are going to have a hard time with Christianity. Be bad for you to not share the gospel. Be worse for you to truncate the gospel and give a false gospel to people. You got to Give a gospel of repentance. And the repentance is going to humble your neighbors and your friends and your co Just like I trust it humbled you. And if not, you haven't repented. And you need to repent of your sin. Well, there's the other side of this, I suppose. Verse 12. Acts chapter 8, verse 12. When they believed Philip, as he preached the good news, that's good news, it's great forgiveness, I want that. And they were baptized both men and women, which of course we see throughout the Gospels and throughout Acts as this expression of repentance. Repentance and baptism, right? It's the baptism of repentance, it's called. And the idea here is that all these people had to do what Christ said because Christ is the name, the authority, the one in charge. And there's a kingdom and the kingdom I'm now stepping into as I get into the circle. Of course, I don't have Christ come into my life. My life comes into his kingdom. So he's already on the throne and I'm stepping into this thing. That's where the track is just, just categorically wrong, right? I, I'm bringing my life into his kingdom and there's no place for me to scoop my buns on his throne. You understand? He's already there. And I now need to do what the king says, including 
getting baptized, which seems so idyllic in our minds as we think back to the first century, what that must have been like. Even as we're going to read later in Acts chapter 8, when the, 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 the Ethiopian, this very important guy with his regalia and his, his entourage, says, I need to be baptized. He knows the teaching of baptism. I need to be baptized. And so he stops and they go and get baptized because they see a body of water. And Philip baptizes him. I know that seems idyllic, but you do understand it's about as embarrassing as it is now. If I say to you, hey, you're a Christian, you need to be baptized in water, which was the command of the Lord, make disciples baptizing them. And you know, you may say, well, I don't know, that just seems, I don't know, I spent all morning doing my hair. I don't want to get up there and look like I just got out of the shower in front of everybody. And, and they're going to give me a towel I got to wrap myself in. It'll probably be cold. And Dude, it, it was no different. Can you imagine what it must look like? He's unpeeling his his regalia, his fancy clothes, getting out of his chariot. And he's going down into the water and he's coming out and they have to hand him a towel that's worse than the terry cloth towels we hand you when you get out of the baptism. Some linen first century version and wrap himself in that. And who knows what the weather was? He didn't say, hey, the weather's nice. Let's I feel like I'm up for a dip. He's like, if Christ told me to get baptized, I'm going to get baptized. And even though all these people around me may think I'm crazy because I'm not even from Samaria. I'm not from Jerusalem. I, I'm from Ethiopia. But I will do it if that's what Christ said. See, that's what repentance looks like. It always looks like that. And the other side of the coin is if you're supposed to get off the throne of your life and now step into the kingdom of God, well, then you're supposed to obey the king. Number two, that's what we're calling for, a repentance that obeys. Call for repentance that obeys. That is what this is about. You want both sides of it in a verse? How about this one? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. 2 Corinthians 5, 15. The whole point of this is that we would no longer live for ourselves, which we're all programmed to do. You do not have to be Kanye West to have that thought in your mind, you understand. And we no longer live for ourselves, but now we live for him who died for us and rose again. Now I have a whole different perspective. And all these people who say, I want to be a Christian, want the benefits of that, if they see Christ is merging into their lives to help them have a wonderful plan, they miss the idea of what it is to come to the end of my road and say, now I lay it all down. My life is on the altar. I am all in. What do you want me to do? And we all watch because they live in a bubble. We watch the celebrities of our day make their commitments to Christ, whether it's Bieber or Kanye or whatever it is. We go, wow, let's see what happens. Please understand that we all have the same struggles but we have to realize that the whole point of this is saying, I'm no longer living for myself. That's what it means to deny myself, take up my cross. Now here's the positive, follow me, right? Live for him who died for me and rose again. Now I got to say, if I open my Bible and it says Christians should be baptized and the word baptism means to be submerged and it happens after I become a disciple, then I need to be baptized in water after I become a Christian. I've never done that. I guess I got to sign up to do that. That comes with the authority of God as a command in my life. Keep reading in my Bible. That's the dangerous thing. And I come to another verse. And it says in Galatians 6, 6, that if I'm part of a church and I'm taught by that church, as Paul said in, in, in 1 Corinthians, well, then I'm supposed to support that church financially. Let him who is taught share all good things with his teacher. The one who invests spiritually in your life, you're supposed to now have them reap material from you. Oh, I don't want them to be a Joel Olstein. Don't worry. Your giving's probably not going to make me Joel Olstein. Don't think you have that giving capacity. But let me tell you this, it's commanded of God and you open it up and you say, well, that, I became a Christian, so I gotta do that. I mean, think of these. It's so easy for us to give a pass 
to celebrities and, well, it's really hard for them to change their whole schedule and not forsake the assembling themselves together. Or, you know, they're going to be such a distraction if they go to a church and just get involved in a small group. I mean, I mean, Kanye and my small group, I can't, that's not going to work. Listen, I don't care if it doesn't work for you. I don't care if you have a million excuses. I don't care if you're every Sunday, every weekend, you're, you're traveling to the Bahamas because you're, I don't know, the most important person doing concerts all over the world. You better not forsake the assembling of yourselves together because all the rules apply to all of us in the kingdom. There's one king, and your repentance is no longer living for myself, but living for him. Now, you get through the doorway, the very first act of obedience needs to be baptism. I'm being baptized in water as an expression here of my repentance. And then we go back to whatever we might be doing and say, now I have to live for Christ in this area. Unless, of course, it's immoral or illegal, I have to live in this thing, whether I'm a rock star, a movie actor, or whether I'm an accountant. I got to do the things that God has asked me to do. Matter of fact, here's a good example. If we go with me to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, speaking of water baptism, here is John the baptizer baptizing people in water who've come for repentance. And talk about not holding back the deny yourself, you're not the rock star. He says to them, right, who warns you to flee from the wrath that is to come? And he calls them snakes, brood of vipers. And I know he's talking particularly to the leaders of the, of the group, but the idea is he pulls no punches on diagnosing the problem and saying, you are not great. You need to repent of your sin. Then they say, great, we'll repent of our sin. Now look what happens here in this passage. They got to go back to their jobs now. Let's start in verse 12. Tax collectors are coming. They came to be baptized and they said to him, teacher, speaking to John the Baptist, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Now that takes all of the fun out of being a tax collector in the first century because that's why you would sign up for this very coveted position to take taxes from people because you could skim off the top, you could ask for more, it was understood, that's just the way the ethic worked, but it wasn't right. Now go be a Christian now. You've repented of your sins, you've obediently been baptized in water as an expression of that. Now live in the context of your career and do it right. Live by God's rules. A great challenge for all of us from Pastor Mike Fabares as he wraps up today's message. You're listening to Focal Point and a helpful lesson titled, Calling People to Repentance. And it's part of a month-long series called Gospel Advance. I invite you to go online to access the complete, unedited version of this series. When you're on the website, you'll also have the opportunity to read Pastor Mike's weekly Bible devotionals, Bible Q&A, and so much more. Available now at focalpointradio.org. Well, if we're going to obey God and share the gospel, then we need to tell people about repentance, humility, and obedience, and helping you to share God's truth accurately and effectively with the people that He placed in your life is one of our core missions here at Focal Point as we seek to reach, teach, and train people to follow Christ. Will you join us in this gospel mission? To keep Focal Point going strong, we need your help. We rely solely on God's faithful financial provision through listeners just like you. So please make a generous donation today when you call us at 888-320-5885. That's 888 888- 320-5885 or donate online at focalpointradio.org. And when you give generously this month, we'll send you a helpful resource by highly regarded apologist and evangelist Josh McDowell and author Thomas Williams titled, How to Know God Exists, Solid Reasons to Believe in God, Discover Truth, and Find Meaning in Your Life. It provides you with answers to commonly asked questions about God, the Bible, and faith in Christ. 
You'll want to get a copy of this resource for yourself or for a friend when you make a generous donation to Focal Point. Our phone number is 888-320-5885 or contact us online at focalpointradio.org. Or if you prefer, you can send your donation by mail. Our address is Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. Guilt trips, manipulation, pouting. Have any of these ugly habits reared up in your marriage? Well, tomorrow on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares will be joined by his wife, Carlin, for a marital tune-up. That's coming up next time on Ask Pastor Mike with Mike and Carlin Fabares. I'm Dave Drewy inviting you to join us Friday for more Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. I pray today's message will help you live out your faith with truth and love. After all, that's the kind of biblical faith that changes lives and transforms a crooked culture. But if you haven't truly surrendered your life to Christ, then I'd like to invite you to get in touch. We'd love to pray with you and help you discover God's plan of salvation. Visit focalpointradio.org. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.